Hallelujah. Glory to God. He is good. Always. He is lovely. He is kind. I thank God as you guys are all here this evening. I'm grateful to God to have the opportunity to be able to speak to you. And um, I just want to open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we adore you, God. We thank you for this opportunity to be edified by your word. God, as the speaker, I pray, Lord, that you would have your way inside of my wretched soul this evening, God. Father, that I would surrender to you in all aspects, God, that my mind would be totally surrendered to you. Father, that I would be carnal in no way, Father, that I would present every word that comes from my mouth to you, that it would bring glory to your name, that it would be edifying to the soul. And God, I pray, Lord God, that you would prepare the hearts of these young people to receive. And Father, I thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last time I had the opportunity to speak, um, I spoke from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. I want to pick up back there in the book of James. We're going to speak from chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And the word of the Lord says, verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save the souls. But the, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forgetful, a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Just a recap of what was discussed in the first 18 verses of chapter 1. First of all, the book of James was written by James, the brother of Jesus. The audience was all followers of Jesus. It was originally written to the early Jewish Christians that were scattered abroad because of persecution. So he's writing this book to encourage them in their time of persecution, in their time of separation from being scattered abroad. It was written about 49 A.D., after the death of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our, uh, the central theme of the book itself is our faith determines our actions and our attitudes. So the little bit of the recap, um, it, in chapter 1, it talked about the testing of your faith to count it joy whenever you are test, whenever you go through trials. Because whenever you endure, whenever you make it through those trials, it's going to produce perseverance. And that perseverance is going to strengthen your faith. It's going to increase your faith whenever 
perseverance is finished, it's going to make you mature and complete. You won't lack anything. And then he goes on to say that if you do lack wisdom, you can ask from God who gives liberally, which means he's, he's going to give it to you willingly. He doesn't say, oh, well, this one here doesn't deserve it, but there is an instruction whenever it comes to faith. You have to believe in what you ask for. You have to believe that God is able. You have to believe that God is hearing you, and you need to believe that he is going to give you the wisdom that you're asking for. Because it goes on to say in chapter 1 that anyone who doubts don't think that they'll receive anything from the Lord because they're like a wave tossed in the sea, and God will not grant them anything because of their doubt. Um, they're double-minded and unstable in their ways. It also talks about in verse, um, in chapter 1, that God has promised the crown of life to those who love him. Those who love him would be those who per persevere under trials. Those who pers they pursue, they continue. They don't, they don't get smacked and then leave. They don't get smacked and turn their back on God. They don't, get, they don't stumble and then turn their back on God and turn away and walk away. Those are the ones that God's going to crown with life. Because they love him. And that's what that's an example of, is the love that they have for him. Now, also it talked about God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So don't be blaming God whenever you're tempted. Because it goes on to say that you're tempted because of your own desires, because of what's in your heart. You're drawn away because of what's in your heart, and then you're enticed. You're, you're lured in. You're entrapped. So it's not because God is tempting you and he's unfaithful but it's because of what's already in you. So whenever you're tempted or you're dragged away, know that it's because of what's in you and not because God is evil. Whenever the desire is conceived, whenever it begins to form or develop in the mind and it starts to, to be a reality in your mind, that gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, whenever it's consumed you, it gives birth to death. So we have to be careful to guard our minds and to make sure that we're being consumed by the word. So that we can be washed by the word and our minds can be renewed. And also, the last thing that uh, it talked about was God does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give birth to those through the word of truth that he might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So, if you are born again, loving Jesus, filled with the Holy Ghost, saved, in love with your heavenly father, grateful, repentant of everything that you've done that is not in accordance with his word, Surrendering your life to Jesus, God has revealed that to you, and he has birthed you. He doesn't make mistakes. You're in it for the long haul. Be comforted in knowing that whenever you're going through these trials, it's going to produce stronger faith. It's going to encourage you. It's going to make you stronger and closer to God. So don't turn your back on him. So that was a little bit of the recap from the last message that we spoke of. We'll go ahead and get into verse 19. Verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Verse 20. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Slow to hear. What this is talking about is how we overcome trials, the type of qualities that we need to have during these trials. Slow to hear. Swift to hear. What do we need to hear? We need to hear God's voice. We need to be praying to God and seeking God so that his spirit can speak to us. Look through his word, know his word so that he can communicate to us. We need to be listening for God during these trials. 
Not only that, but we need to hear the situation. Because when you get in a quarrel with someone or you get into an argument or now you're going to be going through this, this trial with this individual because you guys are just not seeing eye to eye, one of you are in the flesh, then what you need to do is you need to be swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. See, a lot of times we're swift to hear, but we're not slow to speak. That's me. I'll be swift to hear. I'll hear what you have to say. But I want you to hurry up and finish so that I can say something. I'm not slow to speak. So this is bringing correction to me, and I'm grateful for that. And that's what God's word does. Is it, bring correct, it brings correction. It's encouraging. Slow to wrath. Wrath is... It goes on in verse 20 to say, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let me tell you that our only goal as a Christian is to become the righteousness of God. Otherwise, Christ died in vain. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that Jesus, uh, God sent him who knew no sin, that would be Jesus, to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So whenever we're being full of wrath, which is this violent passion inside of us that wants vengeance or anger whenever we're full of this in our heart and we're ready to just lash out on somebody because of the trials that we're going through it's not producing the righteousness of god so we're not in god's favor we're not we're out of the comfort of god because we want it to be wrathful whenever we know the vengeance is the lord's our best day cannot produce the righteousness of god paul explains in philippians 3 5 11 see paul Paul, what Paul was doing, you guys know that Paul's name was Saul before he was Paul, right? You guys know that? What Paul was doing is, he was doing what he thought was right. He thought that he was in God's favor. He thought that he was being pleasing to God because he was persecuting the church. And what do the Pharisees do? The Pharisees, they, they thought they were all that. They just wanted all these Jesus freaks, they wanted them cut off. That's why they crucified Jesus. That was cultic, according to them. So Paul thought what he was doing was righteous. So if anyone had any confidence in the flesh or was able to boast in the flesh, it would have been Paul. And that's what he goes on to tell us in um, Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. And I just wrote some footnotes here. He says that he was circumcised the eighth day, which that was according to the law. That was, I mean, he was, he was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. Not the seventh day, not the ninth day, the eighth day, exactly when he should have been circumcised as a Jew. Or as a Hebrew. He was a stock of Israel. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. He was Hebrew of Hebrews. Pharisee of the law. Persecuted the church, which was his zeal for God, so he thought. He was blameless with the law. He knew the law. You couldn't blame him and find fault in him because he followed the law to a T. Meanwhile, he's dragging these Christians out of their homes and imprisoning them. Because they love Jesus. So Paul says in verse 9, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. See, his own righteousness was from the law. That was the only type of righteousness that he had, which was null and void to God. Which is through, from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness with God, which God is from, is from God by faith. So what Paul later realized after God put those scales over his eyes when Jesus had that encounter with him and revealed to him that he was persecuting Jesus and he was kicking against the goads and it was hard for him because he was out of the will of God. Once he came to that realization, 
he goes on in Philippians, he's writing to them to explain, look, man, I could have boasted my flesh. I could have had confidence in my flesh and everything I was doing. I was righteous, so I thought. But there is no righteousness in me. He lost all of that and counted it all joy because he became aware. He was able to understand that the only righteousness is the righteousness in Christ. See, Christ, whenever Christ came, he did everything that no one could ever do. He fulfilled the law to a T perfectly, and he did it sinless. So the only righteousness, what, what is God's righteousness? In God's loving kindness, sending Jesus to die for our sins, he counts the work of Christ as righteousness unto us. It's called imputation. He imputes God's righteousness to you. The righteousness of Christ, he imputes it to you, which means he's given it to you. He's counting it as though you're righteous. He's counted it as though you're righteous. Even though you're not, that's what he's doing. That's what God is doing. And then not only that, not is he saying, you know what, you're a righteous individual, although you're not. But because you love Jesus and you believe in him and you lay down your life to follow after Christ, he imputes that righteousness to you. Then when Jesus died, he put the Holy Spirit here so the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That is God's righteousness, sending Christ to die for you so that you can have a relationship with him so that you don't have to be separated from this great God, your creator, for eternity. That's the righteousness of God. Having faith in Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. Jesus came, I already quoted that verse, Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Faith produces righteousness if your faith is in Jesus Christ. If your faith is in the word of God, it will produce righteousness. Do not allow for the word of God to go in one ear and out the other. Verses 22 through 24, James 1, 22 through 24 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and is not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. Notice it said observing. It didn't say you went and, and, and kind of looked back. It didn't say you took a peek. You observed your face in the mirror. Verse 24, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. That could be insulting. Because it's saying, it, it, it's like equivalent to saying, somebody who hears the word and is not a doer of it, he's like a man who can look at his face, observe it, see it, walk away, and forget what kind of man he was. Forget what he even looked like. That's like, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that person who... Can't even remember what they look like in the mirror. To me, that was an insult. When, that's how I took it whenever I read it. But the, what the Word of God does is the Word of God reveals how unclean we are. It reveals our uncleanliness. It reveals to us the filth that we have inside. So whenever we hear the Word and we know the Word and we know what God's Word is instructing us, but we are not doers of the Word, we become like an individual who looks at himself in the mirror and says, man, I'm dirty. I need to go take a bath. And then walks away, stank, doesn't take a bath, and continues being dirty, forgetting that he's even dirty. Whenever you know the word of God, James is encouraging them, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. If God's word reveals your filthiness, your uncleanliness that you have apart from Christ, do what the word says. If anyone wants to follow after me, you must first deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after him daily. Anyone who desires to save his life will lose it. Anyone 
who desires to lose his life for my name's sake will save it. Do what the word instructs you to do. Honor your mother and father. Do not steal. Do not murder. Newsflash, if you don't know, now you know. Murder and hatred in your heart are equivalent in God's standards. Read it in Proverbs. If you hate somebody, you've murdered them in your heart. That's God's standards. You know, it's kind of similar to the standard of thinking about sexual immorality. You've committed that in God's sight. You're thinking about doing things with another individual that you shouldn't be doing sexually. You're fornicating. Even though you're not physically doing it, you're doing it. Because why? In the book of James, he even said, he said, what happens is you're drawn away by your own desires. And then you're entrapped. And whenever that desire begins to develop in your mind into a real thought, into a real pursued passion, it's giving birth to sin. It's right here still. And once it consumes you, then it's giving birth to death. You're separated from Christ. And it's by his grace that he's going to grant you repentance for you to turn from your wicked ways and for you to seek his face and cry out to him that you need him, that you want him. Do not forsake me, God. Verses 25 through 27. Or verses 26 through 27, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was right. Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. See, so you got the correction, but you also got the encouragement. God's going to bless you in what you do if you're a doer of the word. Be encouraged. Don't think anything's in vain, man. If you got that deep relationship with Christ, you'll know. All right, I'm going through this. I know that if I make it through this, if I persevere, it's going to produce a stronger faith. It's going to produce maturity. It's going to complete me. So that I can be strengthened in Christ. And maybe be an encouragement to someone else. And bring glory to him. And then it goes on in verse 26 and 27. If anyone among you thinks he is religious. And does not bridle his tongue. But deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. So you got these people that are. They're worshiping God. Ceremonial. Inside the sanctuary. Praising God. Loving God. But yet they haven't tamed their tongue. They're going back and they're backbiting. They're speaking about others. They're talking down on God. They're not bridling their tongue. They're not holding their tongue. Their religion is useless. And if they think because they're going to church, if they think because they are what they think is religious, and they think that they're all right, they're deceiving themselves. What comes out of your mouth should be in tune with God. Because what comes out of the mouth defiles a man. And out of the mouth speaketh the heart. So you got to make sure your heart's in, in line with God. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is important because God's saying, look, if you want your religion, your worship, your dedication to me to be acceptable, 
to be undefiled, to be true worship, then you need to do what? The two greatest commandments. Love God with all your mind, heart, and soul. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Who are the widows? Who are the orphans? These are your neighbors. So it's all about loving God and people. Jesus said those were the two greatest commandments. But in addition to that, he said, keep oneself unspotted from the world. If you don't keep yourself unspotted from the world, you can't do anything else. And if you do do it, you're doing it in vain. If you don't keep yourself unspotted from the world, you cannot truly love God. You see, in the book of 1 John, matter of fact, I'm going to turn there. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and I've read this to you guys before, so I know you've heard it. You may not remember it. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of the Father, the will of God, abides forever. So to keep yourself unspotted from the world, you cannot love what's here. You ain't taking your Bentley. You ain't taking your Ferrari. You ain't taking your Xbox. You ain't taking anything with you into the throne room of God. It's not going to happen. Be unspotted. The Bible says, what does it profit for a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Be unspotted. Be unspotted from the riches and the, and the things that are pleasing to the eye and the things that are pleasing to your covetous, wicked heart that you just want more, want more, want more. Be unspotted from that stuff and be content, be fulfilled by the righteousness of God, Jesus Christ. That's why he came to die for you. That's why God has revealed the truth to you. That's why you're able to see, sit right here in the pews and be preached to. Because God has allowed you to be born where you're at. He's allowed you to be where you're at tonight to hear this word. He's good and he loves you. Be fulfilled by God. Be fulfilled from Jesus. Want nothing more. Nothing else matters. That's my encouragement to you this evening. Last, I'll close with this. In the book of John, chapter 17, and verse 14. Let me say this first. Being unspotted from the world is a lot more deeper than I believe Christians accept it today. I believe that we are way too spotted from the world. Can I look at an individual who calls himself a Christian who loves God and look at someone else who's an atheist who doesn't love God and see a difference? Not just by looking at their appearance but looking at their walk, talk, habits, is there a difference? To be unspotted from the world, you have to really, really dedicate yourself to God's word 
so that you know the things that are not pleasing to him because he instructs you here. If you are a chameleon with the world, then that's not being unspotted. That's blending in. And you can't serve two masters. You cannot partake of the world and be pleasing to God. The good news is this. God has allowed you to be here so you can hear this word, so you can evaluate yourself and say, what can I do different to make myself a little or a lot less blending in with the world? John 17, 14. Jesus says, I have given them your word. He's talking to his father in heaven. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I challenge you all to be foreigners to this world. I challenge you all to embrace your position in Christ. I challenge you all to long. I challenge you all to long for the dwelling places in heaven. I challenge you. I challenge you from the bottom of my heart. And I embrace this challenge with you. Because I'm not innocent from being spotted with the world. But there's some radical things that me and my wife have in store for our individual family. So that we can maybe pull away from the world a little bit more. And be closer to God. While here, surrounded by a lot of people who do not love God. With that said, um, if anybody would like to uh, come up for prayer... Just see me afterwards. I'm just going to go ahead and close in prayer now. Heavenly Father, I adore you and I love you, God. God, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness. I thank you for loving us so much that you're directing us back to you. Because only you can fulfill the void that is inside of us. So you have made a way for us to be back in connection and fellowship and relationship with you. And I thank you, Lord, for, for doing that. For those who you love, God. And God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us to pursue you more. With everything that is inside us, let us pursue you, God. Holy Spirit, convict us and burden us with passion for you so that we could see your glory manifested here on earth so that you, Lord, can change our environment, so that you can change our surroundings because you are powerful and almighty and you are able. And I pray this with faith, with no doubt, God. Have your way inside of this youth group Inside of this city, we surrender to you in the name of Jesus.
Amen.